This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Good morning. I'm Roshan Kanisan and welcome to Open for Business. The beauty and personal care industry in Malaysia is big business, garnering a revenue of just under 2.7 billion US dollars in 2022 based on Statista data. With so many beauty companies vying for the top spot, how does a more recent market entrant, Une Un Olive Province stand out here? Well, apparently by transforming the century-old kitchen essential olive oil into a much-desired skincare product. Hailing exclusively from the farm in province, France Un Olive utilizes extra virgin olive oil as a key component of its various cosmetic products. However, is that enough to make it stand out in a fiercely competitive cosmetics market, especially in a market where consumer sentiment is estimated to be at its lowest since the lockdown days of quarter two, 2021? Today on Open for Business, you will learn about the rationale behind importing this high-priced product into Malaysia, its brand positioning and marketing strategy, as well as insights into the intricacies of operating a distributorship here in Malaysia with Sia Jen Pei, Director of Un Olive Malaysia. Malaysia. Jen, welcome to the show. How are you feeling this Friday morning? Hi, Roshan. It's my honour to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. And I actually, I've got, it's really curious business because when someone first told me about this, I was like, olive oil, isn't that supposed to be in my food, not on my face? So we'll, we'll get into all of this uh, yes. as we go on, right? Uh, but before we get into the business side of things, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you were doing before embarking on this entrepreneurial journey of yours, which started in 2017, and how your previous background led you here, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, hi, everyone. Um, I was a geotechnical engineer, just in case any one of you who doesn't know. Geotechnical engineer. Yes, okay. geotechnical. Uh, basically, we deal with anything below the ground. So I was involved with a lot of MRT projects, um, underground basement projects and stuff. So below the ground, but not below the skin. La. So slightly different things here. But it's similar. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite similar. So I used to work in Singapore for about six years. And then I returned to Malaysia for another year as an engineer and then only I started this business. So uh, it wasn't always in the plan to be a business owner to actually start the business. But uh, by chance, by opportunity, someone actually introduced this brand and ah. said, ah, they are looking for like a trustworthy person to be the distributor in any parts of Asia. So I thought, mm, why not we start exploring that? And yeah. this was the brand over in France? Yep. Um what was before that? So if not for this this introduction, do you think you'd ever would have entered the world of entrepreneurship? Uh, Were there ever ideas or like, oh, maybe one day I want to do this? I think it was more passive. So mm. if there are opportunities, I'm open to it, but um, not actively, actively seeking because I really enjoy engineering, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, another one has bitten the stem dust and has entered uh, a different industry. I have plenty of friends who studied engineering, ended up in different businesses. Uh, but I, I just want to touch on this, this part. Like, what gave you the confidence, I guess, to go into business? Because the world of entrepreneurship can be lonely, can be difficult, can be challenging to say the least. But what I sometimes find is that if you are surrounded by a community of people who are in business or are entrepreneurs, that can give you a little bit of like moral support and confidence. Mm -hmm. Was that a similar situation for you? What gave you the confidence to start this venture? 
I think there are very many factors, but one of the major factors that builds up my that builds my confidence and security, that sense of security is very important, mm-hmm. is that I told myself I always have a backup plan. Mm. If I, I failed this business, I could have just go back to engineering. I can be it? an engineer yeah. again. Yes. <laughs> um, so you had that sense of reassurance like that, you know, mm-hmm. what's the worst that can happen here? Um, so with that in mind then, when you were introduced to this product and you were like, oh, interesting. Um, uh, someone, a family friend introduced you to this. It was an interesting product to you. It caught your attention. But what made you think that it would work here in Malaysia? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I started about six or seven years ago, where the awareness of natural beauty products just got like suddenly blossoming. Mm-hmm. I would say so. There were definitely demands for like natural beauty. So brands were competing. Who is more natural? <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? I think people like consumers see it. Okay. Yeah. So after that, we thought, okay, let's uh, try it. So we imported our first batch of goods and we utilize our friends and family, especially. <laughs> those with different skin conditions and stuff like that and ask for feedbacks a month later. So from there, we start assessing. But bear in mind that it's not perfect. Uh, we don't get 100% satisfaction from the friends and family surveys. So we went through the feedbacks and then we did our own assessment and think, okay, maybe we can, I think we can manage yeah, so we, I sat down. It's a family thing. So I sat down with my dad and my brother. I think we can manage this. So why not we just get started? Yeah. Is there any history of entrepreneurship in your family? Uh, yes, my dad is a businessman. And that's why he is very encouraging. Uh, yeah. So he was happy love when you jumped from engineering to business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you from, from what I understand, you spent six months doing the market testing here, the friends and family survey. Did you go beyond the friends and family surveying in that six months? Uh, We reached out to uh, the confinement centres community. Ah. Yeah, so we actually get consent from new mummies to try our products and we collect feedbacks from them as well. So they were very helpful and even till now, I'm very thankful to some of the confinement centres that actually worked with us. Yeah. So you you tested some targeted markets, uh, let's put it that way, right? Because... um, End of the day, this is a higher price product than your your general public cosmetic product. So you have to be a bit selective with how you market, how you position, which we'll get into a little later. Um, your essentially, I guess the MVP, the minimum viable product or the first iteration of this business was the un- online stores that you started in 2017, correct? Yes. Talk us through, I guess, the um, at what point, once you started the business online, and I think you had two outlets open in 2017, at what point did you finally say to yourself, okay, this business is going to work? Mm, that moment didn't come instantly, I mm. would say. It took a quite, slow, quite long. So it took me two years to finally have that, ah, I think this works now. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, 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 what helped you make the determination? What, what was it that at that point they'd be like, okay, this is a business that works. And because what was the, what was the reason for that? Uh, healthy returning customers. Mm. We have a very good rate of uh, retention for our customers. And then we have a very successful loyalty program in-store, both in-store and online. As well as, of course, there were people approaching us that um, they want to work with us and good reviews. They are all bits and pieces of good feelings that build up this. Yeah. So it was two years, essentially, before you felt that, okay, we have a shot at this business 
business being uh, sustainable and successful. So yeah. that was 2017 and 2019. And we all know what happened in 2020, yes. right? The pandemic hit. Lots of businesses were impacted by the environment there. How did Un Olive Malaysia sustain operations and the business as well as keep relevant in the market during that time and over the last few years? Mm-hmm. I, I was actually quite positive um, in terms of the impacts of the pandemic to my business. Mm-hmm. It's a bit weird because most of them would say, oh, this disastrous or stuff like that. Because we had our online store ready at about uh, 2017. Yeah. So for me, the pandemic was the time where we were on par with our very huge competitors because uh, our retail stores were closed, we were not allowed to open and then everything was moved online. So for us, that moment was the moment where we can actually healthily compete with our larger uh, competitors because we are on par. Offline was no longer a key determinant of success in this business. Uh, Being online was a winning strategy at that point. Yes. how did how did business how much did business increase during that time? Uh, it was a very healthy because uh, pandemic came in third year and fourth year of our business. Yeah. Uh, it was still a very healthy growth. I I'm sorry that I cannot disclose the exact <laughs> figure, but it was very healthy that uh, we finally decided that maybe we should put more efforts into our online mm-hmm. online business. That's why you see us um, having two retail stores continuously for two years, and then we stopped having new stores now because we wanted to actually make our online platforms better first once we have a very stable source of income and then we will move to physical stores again um yeah uh, so growth was healthy as you put it um what we saw with a lot of businesses particularly online businesses is growth went two three four five x during that time and eventually came back down to earth but at a higher base so i think it was yesterday the day before i spoke to uh, the brand owner of the Wetty Wet Wipes brand. Mm-hmm. And the way he put it to me is before the pandemic, people, uh, four in 10 people were buying wet wipes. And during the pandemic, people nine in 10 people were buying it. And after, it was about seven in 10 people. So still a bigger market overall. Did you see, do you see a parallel situation for your business where although things have come down from the pandemic highs for online businesses, it is still higher than pre-pandemic? Yes, it's still higher than pre-pandemic. But to be honest, our business, our online business, haven't been coming down uh, post-pandemic. Really? Yeah, it's a very healthy growth. I think partly because um, we are our main, our main products, our star products are body care items, mm-hmm. and they are considered a necessity, mm. uh, everybody's necessity. So that's why we don't really see the drop post-pandemic. So you've yeah. built the habit with people long enough to keep them coming back. As yes. you mentioned earlier, your retention rates are quite healthy. Uh, on your own uh, metrics there. Uh, Jen, we got to go into a few messages when we come back more on the business side of things and some of the other challenges of running a distributorship here in Malaysia. Folks, I've been speaking with Sia Jen Pei, Director of Un Olive Malaysia. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9 Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. 
BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan and this morning I've been speaking with Sia Jen Pei. She's the director of Un Olive Malaysia. Um, Jen, earlier we got into the, I guess, the rationale for bringing this product into Malaysia, uh, why you took the risk and, you know, the market study that you all did. So friends and family survey for around six months before opening your two uh physical stores and online stores in 2017. Since then, the focus has been on the online side of things and business did really well during the pandemic. And as you mentioned earlier, you've sustained that growth since then. Um, but if we look back at the early days, particularly 2017, give us a sense for what the business originally looked like, right? When you first decided, okay, we're going to bring this product in, we're going to sell this product. Um, you know, what did that first look like? And what does the business look like today from an operational perspective? Mm -hmm. um, back then, it was disastrous, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think mainly because I wasn't a business mm. graduate or I wasn't in the business sector at all because I was an engineer, as I said. So back then, there were a lot of um, trial and errors and then a lot of uh, research study, even on like the procedures, what are the procedures to get... SSM registration done yeah. and stuff like that, you see. So back then, it was very micro. It was just between me and my brother, two of us, doing all these paperwork and stuff. <laughs> and then we didn't have a warehouse. And then our, we actually borrowed um, my my father's warehouse. And then, yeah, so and sometimes we do the packing at home. So in a way, I would say it's very micro, but at the same time, we were very versatile. I would say that's the good side of it. We were very flexible. We were very versatile. Any challenges, we took it with a very positive mindset, I would say. I think that's the nature of an mm -hmm. engineer. So we expect <laughs> challenges and then we expect to overcome these challenges. Yeah, that's why it was very difficult, I would say. For me personally, it was a lot of sleepless nights, mm. uh, stress tension, stuff like that, yeah. But after that, and now, I would say we are, we, we are better in our uh, formation of the team, of our organisation and stuff. So we have currently uh, 10 staffs, yeah, from that two of from us. just two of you? Yeah, to now we have 10 staffs, we have retail staffs, we have office staffs as well, our marketing, our small marketing team <laughs> who are working well. Yeah, so, and then we have a very sustainable uh, revenues, we have a very uh, healthy group of loyal customers, our members. and uh, yeah. Since you brought it up, uh, where are you in terms of revenue? Uh, our revenue it's now a quite healthy seven digits now annually, and uh, to give some insights, last week double eleven, we had multiple six digits. Yeah, so it's in only, a single day. Uh, it's a week long campaign. Okay, so yeah. over the entire week, uh, over the, uh, we have multiple six digits, and uh, I think. That's considered quite healthy considering our size, yeah. So if it's multiple six digits, let's say it's two, three hundred thousand ringgit in sales in that single day, that's easily 30, 20 to 40 percent of annual sales in one single day. Yes. Talk to us, I guess, about the importance of leveraging these kind of marketing events, right? 11, 11, 12, 12, 10, 10. Every month seems to have a particular day, right? Yes. But we're entering this holiday season as well. How important are these promotional activities and events? to your business? Mm, I think rationally speaking, uh, we, now we are talking about the human psychology yes. side of it because uh, shopping itself is not a very rational 
activity to do. Okay, it, uh, like many factors actually constitute the shopping decision. Correct. So it's the packaging, it's the price points, it's the promotions, it's the service that you get. So Double um, Eleven has been a very, very very good way of pushing the consumers to spend. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very good reason to justify your spending as well, I think, as consumers. And then that's why uh, shops, merchants, we actually put on very good sales, very mm. good deals for our products. Yeah. So what did you do in that time? Was it simply... Was it as simple as just a bigger discount for the entire week or were there more marketing activities that were conducted during that week? Uh, mainly we engaged with some uh, social media influencers ah. and that worked really well for us. And then there were this uh, life selling thing going on, which is very popular among Malaysians now. Yeah, and yeah. yeah we, for us, uh, these channels have been very successful for our business. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, the performance of the live selling part because this is something that we're hearing more of. Works in some areas, doesn't work in others. Uh, how do you see yourself doing more live selling in the future? Uh, I think uh, there will be more, but not significantly more because we are sort of like at the bottleneck of it mm -hmm. because we can't expect uh, the live stream audience to keep buying it every month so so for us it's a way for brand awareness as well because we tag along with social media influencers then they know our brand and then these audiences they don't have to come to our shop then they can see demonstration of the products online and then after that it's actually uh, if we were to expand from there it's actually the follow-up works how can we retain these customers how can we bring them to our physical shops so we would actually put more efforts on that instead of doing more live streams and we keep doing the same thing again and not expanding from that uh, sector. Yeah. Um, so it seems that part of that funnel is also to bring people to the physical outlets. Correct. Why is that a focus? As I said, I think shopping is not something very rational to do. So uh, we equip our shops with very very encouraging like like uh, ambience so uh. so you get the service you get to try our products like in physical and stuff like that the, so the I think shopping behavior essentially yes 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 so because online it's a very utilitarian thing where you go online you buy something you don't buy something maybe live selling can help you kind of see that experience but once you enter the store yes there's more things that the that you can control yes yes does, uh, does that mean that you're looking to expand from just two outlets because right now it's just two we are definitely looking to expand mo into more stores. But uh, as I said just now, we want to have very stable and good online presence first before we're moving into having our third store. But our first two stores were doing very great. Uh, we managed to sustain the pandemic, even though it was closed <laughs> for like a year or so. So we are definitely looking to into like more locations, but that will definitely be next year. Yeah. What entails, I guess, an ideal location for your business? Because right now you're in Wanutama and Sunway Velocity, correct? Yes, correct. So what would, you know, what would be your ideal next location? What would what did, what would it need? Uh, we look for target 
targeted neighborhood. So that's why we go to neighborhood malls. Oh. Yeah, somewhere Velocity, it has a Cheras neighborhood Correct. nearby. And uh, Wan Utama, it's the whole PJ, I would say. Bandar Utama, Damansara. Yeah, so we intend to go into like a more neighborhood style of malls instead of mega malls uh, where tourists are the main targeted customers because we want, uh, because we think that body care, it's a long-term thing. It's a mm-hmm. necessity. So it works works better for us if we go into neighborhood malls and then we build that relationships with our customers. Yeah, it, it, it's more sustainable that way. But given the you know, more high price nature of this, wouldn't you also want to be in places like Pavilion, for example? Uh, we were actually offered uh, a lot in Pavilion. I think speaking to people and engaging with the local community is what we enjoy doing the most. Okay. So Pavilion, it's a great mall. I love it as well. But uh, I don't think that is the sort of direction that we are going into. Yeah, hopefully yeah. you're keeping Bangsa Village in mind. I think that's quite a neighborhood mall. <laughs> yes. I will not ask you whether you're looking at it because I don't think you're going to give me an answer to that. <laughs> sure. uh, but Jen, we got more to get into about the 10.30 a.m. news bulletin is coming up. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about some of the other challenges and bringing a foreign product into Malaysia as well as the strategy going forward and the long-term uh, goals for this company. Mm-hmm. Folks, I've been speaking with Siajan Pei. She is the director of Un Olive Malaysia. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You've been listening to Open for Business. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossPolly.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Before Friday materializes, BFM. 89.9 Open for Business is powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan, and this morning I've been speaking with Sia Jen Pei, Director of Un Olive Malaysia, a distributor of cosmetic products here in Malaysia after the same name. Um, you're also a seven-figure business, as we discussed earlier, Jen. And among other things, you've got two physical outlets. Most of the business is online. Uh, could you give us a sense in terms of how much bigger the online business is compared to the physical businesses in terms of revenue or any other metrics that you can provide for us? I think the ratio is about 70% online and mm-hmm. 30% in-store. But bear in mind that these two are actually as changeable because our there were customers who actually move uh, across the both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Well, where do you see which has been the better channel in terms of new customer acquisition? New customer acquisition, uh, I wouldn't say there is a better channel because <coughs> both are essential, I would say, for any businesses now. Because it's like choosing to... children, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so both of them play their role there. Um, But the key part, I guess, in this business as a distributor here Mm -hmm. is to build the brand, right? So you're trying to build build the Un Olive brand here in Malaysia. Um, How much, I guess, engagement do you have with the brand owner in terms of what you can do to to brand it here in Malaysia and the marketing strategies? Mm, I I will have to say I'm very thankful that the French brand owners, they were very cooperative. They were very accommodating as well. Um, Basically, they come to Malaysia every year except for the pandemic years. So to actually uh, look at the market with us, we will actually go to different shopping malls and I will introduce them, like Asian brands or stuff like that. And then whenever we have like requests of, I think this must be change a bit in terms of ingredients, in terms of the design or any 
you know, any brand image uh, decisions, they would actually take our advices. So because they actually also look at us as their partners, really, we, we are in a very good and healthy mm. team. So uh, I would proudly say the brand is actually catered for Asians as well. Yeah, it's not entirely like a very French thing, but they are very open to like uh, accommodating our needs as well. Is this the first market in Asia for them? No, they were in Taiwan earlier and then they were in <coughs> Singapore before that. And then I think we are considered the third one. Mm-hmm. Now, do they see you as, because for them, I guess they are trying to grow their brand here in Asia. <laughs> so they'll have multiple partners for now in terms of, or maybe different regional partners. Uh, based on your interactions with them, are there longer term ambitions to help you grow your distributorship, not just to be in Malaysia and Singapore, but into parallel markets, uh, Indonesia, other countries in the region, for example? Yes, we actually talked about that uh, last month when the brand owners were here and uh, we actually expressed our uh, interest in actually doing the Indonesian market as well and they kind of agreed to it mm. but um, it's still at a very early stage of uh, negotiation but uh, I think it will turn out well. Yeah. So there's a good relationship there. Um, but ultimately, you're still bringing in a, a foreign product. You're importing a foreign product here. Um, give us a sense for, I guess, how regulations play into the either the ease of the or the lack of ease of doing this particular business here. I would say it's actually very convenient. It's actually, it's a very well-regulated uh, industry to my surprise. Okay. I was surprised six years ago <laughs> because I was an engineer. I was like, oh, will I be able to actually mm. do this like without engaging a third-party consultant or a runner? So we did it. We did everything, the paperwork, the procedures without a runner or without a consultant. If I could do it, I think anybody else can do it. So I would say Ministry of Health is doing a very good job in regulating the skincare cosmetic yeah, industry. Because KKM get, does get involved because it's a cosmetics business. Correct. Yeah, so for me, there wasn't any major challenges in terms of importing them. Yeah, so it was very easy. All right, so yeah. bringing them in uh, smooth, uh, selling them here, going well. What have been the marketing strategies you've employed to get the brand out there, to get the <clears throat> products sold, because uh, maybe I'm not the target market, but I haven't been ex- I haven't uh, been aware of your brand just yet. But again, I might not be the target market here. So, what have you been employing in terms of a marketing strategy to grow this brand? Being inspired by great brands like. Uh, I would say Lululemon because we are more of going into the communities. Uh, we because we think that the relationship between the brand and the community, it's uh, it will bring a very healthy, healthy and sustainable growth for us. So now we have uh, several confinement centers who are our partners, and we are going into premium gyms, yoga centers, Pilates centers. So it might sound very different from the conventional social media marketing. Source, but I would say for me personally, I would prefer going into the communities and talk to them about the brands. These yeah. are rich target markets for you. I can imagine <coughs> certain yoga studios being very parallel uh, niches in that sense with the same uh, group of people who are buying similar products. Uh, so identifying these kind of things gives you that captive audience. Do you see um, these kind of partners acting as physical distribution channels as well for you? Yeah, they are sort of like a distributor for us already. Yeah. So instead of you having to open up your own outlets, it could yeah. you could be utilizing these partners to do so. Yes, yes. Uh, how big is the partnership base so far? 
we have five confinement centers mm-hmm. who are working with us and they are most of them they are located in Penang and also Johor Bahru so uh, instead of having our own outlets there we actually do have a physical presence via these confinement centers and premium gyms we have two and uh, Pilates studio and uh, yoga and Pilates studio we have one currently so more to come more to come alright yes. great looking forward to it I know some people who work in the industry I'll give them a little uh, nudge to see whether they're talking to you as well Um, talk to me about the I guess the digital marketing is or seems to be an essential part of online business right because Mm -hmm. in order to when you don't have a physical uh, front you need to have footfall or virtual footfall in the form of eyeballs essentially Um, how have you been employing digital marketing have you been putting money towards it significant amount of money towards it and has it been showing ROI uh, we used to put like a very significant amount of money onto digital marketing, social media marketing, until last year when our meta accounts were hacked. Oh, so no. we had to stop. It's not that we stop it willingly, so we had to stop and seek for alternatives as well. And then that was the time where we actually sat down and really assessed the, the whole uh, strategy. So we realised that nowadays uh, digital consumers we, the us, we are so divided in terms of the apps we use daily. So if we were to target everything, it it would be very costly for like a business of a size like us. Mm-hmm. So in instead of that, we go into the niches like you said just now. So we go, we engage with social media influencers, and uh, we don't do as much of advertising now. And most of them, and then we we do a very close interaction with our online customers as well. We will actually send them notes uh, through WhatsApp and stuff like that. So uh, those are digital marketing as well, but it's just the unconventional and relatively lower in cost, I would say, yeah, the uh, things that we normally do. So not throwing money at Meta and Google so much, but focusing on other ways of interacting with the community. Yes, with the human touch, you see. Mm. Yeah. And focusing on the high value clients, I guess, customers. Uh, yesterday, I spoke with uh, uh, Willie Chang from Bain, who was part of the, who was talking to us about the Google Tomasic Bain report mm-hmm. on the digital economy. And one of the interesting insights was that 30% of e-commerce uh, is conducted uh, 30% of e-commerce consumers represent 70% of the business done online. So mm-hmm. this is a great example, I guess, of whether you're targeting the right market and given your more premium positioning. It could be an interesting way to see how the business develops. Speaking of growth, um, we've talked about a few things. What else are you looking at to grow the business going forward outside of new markets and partnerships? First of all, our target, of course, is to achieve eight digits Mm -hmm. soon, hopefully next year. So what's going to power that? (laughs) What's going to power that is that uh, we will actually expand because we are still relatively quite weak over on the East Malaysia side. And I think... Most of the brands, even the larger ones, they are considered weaker in the East Malaysia market mm-hmm. as well. And then as well as uh, there will be tourists coming back progressively. And we also want to expand our online channels to ASEAN market as well. So these are all in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yep. So next time we'll talk, I'll be sure to focus on those uh, developments. <laughs> Thank you. Um, give us a sense for the margins and the profitability of this business. I cannot disclose the exact amount, but I would say it's a very healthy double digit and depends on SKUs as well. We have something like from 10% to 50%. Mm -hmm. So it's not a fixed margin for all products, but it depends on the SKU. 
Yeah. And uh, looking ahead, as we come to the close of this conversation, Jen, um, what are the longer term ambitions here? Because I, I look at brands, uh, other similar companies like, let's say, In Nature, Brahad, mm-hmm. uh, the carrier of Body uh, Body Shop, sorry, not Body Care, Body Shop brand here in Malaysia and a few other countries in the region. They got e-commerce presence as well. They went public back in 2020, although they are about 30% down since that IPO. Um, but still, the business has done very well for itself over the years and it's, it's been in, around. Is that the kind of aspiration you're looking for as well? Or is that not? have you not thought that far ahead just yet? In Nature has been a role model, has been an inspiration for us because they started as a distributor yeah. as well. And now here I am, I was like <laughs> 20 years back, okay, like compared to them. So uh, of course, those are the wow dreams. They are still the wow dreams. Uh, we thought of it, but we are still at the very early stage of the business, only six years, six and seven years uh, since then. So um, for us, not the focus now is to develop this steadily, stably and healthily first, only we embark into something bigger. So I would say, uh, it may sound very irresponsible, but I would say we will remain this size for a couple of years still until we are really ready for it, then we will go, go for forth it. and grow. Yes. Um, Jen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Folks, I was speaking with Sia Jen Pei, CC Director of Un Olive Malaysia. We've been talking about uh, the rationale behind bringing the Un, Olive, uh, the Un Olive brand into Malaysia, their strategies in terms of how they've grown and where they want to take the business next. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast, which will be available in a few hours on the BFM app, the BFM website at bfm.my or wherever you get your podcast, just look up Open for Business. Are you open for business? Register your company with BossBalay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.